Kevin Bowen here. Don't forget to listen to The Fan now on 93.5 or 107.5 FM. And check out our latest coverage online at 1075thefan.com. Well, the Colts, hell, after last night, they need to be in primetime again. 45 points by the Indianapolis Colts on Thursday night football, and they hold off Josh Johnson and the Jets. That last part sounds really weird yeah. uh, when I say that out loud. But nonetheless, uh, the most points scored for this franchise since 2014 and really an offensive clinic by the Colts. Kevin Bowen, Chris Presley back here on Kevin's Corner. Good to have you back, Chris. I know some other work obligations that pay much more the bills or probably all the bills uh, on Monday. So good to have you back and that was a fun one last night for the home faithful, getting yeah. a look at the Colts on a short week and trying to get the slump buster going after Sunday's uh, disappointing finish. Yeah, good to be back, and thanks again for Eddie Garrison for always filling in and helping out where he can. Like you mentioned, one of the hardest-working people in the Jeez. building. He helps run the board for the Colts games, and you and I were both there, and a lot of people that I knew were actually there. It was it was kind of crazy to see. I guess it sh- I shouldn't say crazy. I saw a lot of New York fans that actually drove from New York. Well, you know, I, Hammer and Nigel, our WIBC afternoon show, I went on there Thursday, and they brought up, you know, fans doing the double dip, the Knicks Wednesday night oh, and true. the Jets Thursday. I'm like, man, I guess that kind of makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would be cool, you know, if the Pacers and Colts played back-to-back nights in some city and you got a bunch of buddies together and did that. But luckily the J-E-T-S chants were maybe after the first Mike White touchdown, uh, and that was about it. After that, maybe a little bit more at the end, but um, we'll obviously get into what I liked, what I didn't like on this podcast. Let's begin with just kind of overall thoughts. A lot of Twitter questions as well mm-hmm. to get to. Um, I, I think for the most part, we're going to be pretty positive. To me, what the pass defense showed last night is nothing earth-shattering. Like, I, I know the pass defense stinks, so we'll, we'll hit on that. Um, but I choose to sit here right now and say it's a 3-5 and five football team that just put up 45 points in an NFL game. One by 15 in prime time. Weird things can happen on Thursday night football, and the Colts avoided weird. You know, they didn't turn it over. First penalty of the game, fourth quarter. Yep. Uh, Rigoberto Sanchez isn't needed to punt until like 90 seconds to go in the third quarter. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to celebrate a cover and, and celebrate a uh, two-score win for this football team, and we can sit here and talk in the moment versus talking big picture. Obviously, we'll do that. But, yeah, I thought it was just a really, honestly, a really special offensive performance by the Colts last night. Yeah, it was, it was nice to see them bounce back, obviously, after a disappointing loss last weekend and, and on a short week. You know, you got to turn right back around. Really happy with the way they used Jonathan Taylor for the most part. Um, so, yeah, like you said, playing in primetime. I know a lot of people thought it was nationally thought it was a boring Thursday night game, but Hey, 45-30, I'm taking it. I was going to say, and the back door almost happened. So if you uh, you know, had some rooting interest there financially, yep. as Joe Buck and Troy Aikman brought up, uh, you definitely were, I don't know, <laughs> maybe a couple late runs of the liquor cabinet and that alarm, uh, the snooze a little bit more frequent if you had uh, 10 and a half and sweating it out late. Uh, you know, we always pick a play of the game. They're kind of just an under-the-radar play that maybe changes things. I'm going to point to the Darius Leonard punch out. You know, at that point, it's 14-7. You know, I know the Jets, you know, White had just gotten injured, so they had lost kind of, obviously, their quarterback. But um, they were moving it a little bit on that drive, if I'm not mistaken, and Leonard makes that play. And then if you look at the very next drive, after that turnover, the Colts fumbled it twice yeah. you know, on that drive. And yet they get on both those fumbles. They turn that into a touchdown. And again, it's just not the turnover margin that stands out to this, stands out about this team right now. It's what they're doing with the turnovers, and when they give it away, the few times they do, they're not allowing a ton of points there. And then after that, I, it was just it was an onslaught. And I get it; there are moments in the second half that make you want to, you know, shatter a window. But uh, in no way, shape, or form was that game ever really in doubt by any means. So, um, you know, most points scored since 2014. Uh, no 45 to 30 score ever in NFL history. Yeah, saw that. S- little scoregami action mm-hmm. there. Um, something that really stands out to me, Chris, they've scored 30, at least 30 in four straight games. Um, I get it, Houston and the Jets, two of those games, but still, I mean, that's that, that's hard to do 
in the NFL. Colts haven't done it since Manning in 2010 there. So, um, And then the balance, I would say that. I mean, 260 on the ground, 272 through the air, second time in franchise history. You've been over 250 mm-hmm. in each of those areas. So really surgical by the offense. Um, and, yeah, got to get 7-2. You got to rattle off seven of your final nine. Step one, arguably the easiest step. You know, who knows? Maybe next Sunday will be easier with Jacksonville. But um, still, you did the job, and now embrace the mini bye week because you know you do have a couple injuries to come out of the coming out of that game as well. Yeah, you mentioned the four thirty-point games in a row, the two fifty and two fifty. Uh, those were interesting nuggets that you also had this morning on the fan morning show. You you gave four of them to Brendan King, and there's there's been some some great stats or some stats that you look back on and you're like, wow, that's pretty impressive yeah and let's if you don't mind Chris let's get right into that what I liked offensive line yeah is the first thing and you know I'm sitting there thinking to myself man my eyes are saying this is the best offensive line performance of the season you know I mean I just feel like there is so much open space for Hines and Taylor to take you know 30 miles per hour and get to 90 real quick and I was curious if I'd find stats after the game that back that up well this from ESPN is one of the more wilder stats that I've seen, really, in, in trying to, um, you know, give credence to what the offensive line was doing. ESPN does the yards before contact, yards after contact stat. They've been doing it since 2009. Um, the Colts had 260 rushing yards last night. Of those 260 yards, 211 came before contact. <laughs> Talk so, about opening holes. So if the game was two-hand touch, and who knows, maybe come you know, 20, you know, 78, it might be two-hand <laughs> touch. 211 yards before contact. The Colts averaged seven yards per rush before contact for the entire game. That is the most in an NFL game since ESPN began tracking that in 2009. Wow. Like, if that doesn't scream, the offensive line dominated the game, I don't know what does. Not to mention, Wentz was only sacked once. I think it was like a line of scrimmage sack even. And I think he was hit three times, which, again, those are very small numbers compared to what has been the norm for him this season. Um, so just just unbelievable work by that O-line. Uh, 8.7 yards per carry, franchise record as well. And... You know, I, I know we often get questions of, like, what do you learn from a game like this? You know, the Jets are not, you know, I, I was not worried about this game at all coming into it. I predicted 31-13. I was just like, mm-hmm. this is going to be a route. It's going to be a runaway, um, blah, blah, blah. The one thing that I thought was interesting is the Jets entered last night seventh in the league in rushing yards, allowed. So a top-ten run defense. Robert Saleh, after the game, adding to his fr- frustration is saying, we knew they were going to run it. We had heard it all week long, you know, like uh, we know full well, you know, Frank Rice getting called out for not using Jonathan Taylor enough. And and you hear Frank say, you got to get back to basics. I asked Frank on Tuesday, you know, what are, what things do you see kind of carry over from Thursday night games over the years? Do you see anything as kind of a common trend? He's like, I, you know, overall, I just think on a short week, you don't do anything too, too crazy and you get back to kind of your identity. This is this team's identity. What stands out to me, especially last night, Chris, is they had 261 on the ground in the third quarter. Yeah. And they actually lost a yard in the fourth quarter. So it was not like you had the 80-yard run with the walk-on with three minutes to go, and that skews what the rushing numbers look like at the end. No, no, no. This was just a thorough ass-kicking by the Colts when it came to running the football. And, again, it's the Jets. I'm not sitting here acting like you're going to run for – 300 the rest of the season. But this was a top 10 run defense. Yeah. And now they wake up today and the Jets are 26th against the run after that effort there. So um, when you give 4 3 40 yard dash guy space, they can do what they did last mm-hmm. night. And Taylor and Hines on full display with both of that. Um, you know, Frank Wright complimented Carson Wentz after the game for kind of checking into some runs. One of those being the, uh, the first Taylor touchdown. I went back and watched that play. Kind of a light box. Hines is in the slot. And I'm thinking to myself, boy, how many times do you think the Colts have ran out of Naeem Hines in the slot? Like, I can't imagine very often. Sure enough, 
Carson checks to a run play. Hines, I don't think Hines you know, had a great block, but he got in the way of uh, of a Jets defender, and boom, there's Taylor for that TD run there. So, uh, outstanding by the offensive line. Certainly the Braden Smith injury is a bummer. Anytime you see a guy leave the game with a triceps injury, I'm a little nervous about yeah. that, to be honest with you. Um, had an x-ray after the game, and the doctors saw something they wanted to take a closer look at, so we'll see the update on that. But, um, yeah, just just terrific. Terrific by the O-line. To get to the second thing of what you like, uh, a little background here. A buddy of mine last night, you know, Derrick Henry's out, so we're talking fantasy football. Yeah. I got to put Henry on the IR, put in Naheem Hines. Boom. My buddy says, man, I had Hines last week. I needed 11 yards from him. He had one touch, two yards. He starts going off. Great to see Hines back in the rotation again. You know, Eddie and I talked about this a little bit on Monday, Chris. I don't think you and I have talked about it a whole lot lately. But Naeem Hines has been underutilized. Um, at the start of the year, the number that I think we came down to in touches for him each week was about 10 to 12 for Hines. He had 15 in the opener. Big number. Mm-hmm. Last five games entering last night, these are the number of touches he's gotten. Five, nine, five, four, four. You pay him too much money, first off, <laughs> to use him that little. But more importantly, he's just too versatile of a guy mm-hmm. and too big of a big play threat to, again, utilize him that little. And with what your wideout group looks like right now, you need him to touch the football in the double-digit range. Um, he had seven touches in the first half for like 87 yards. And for the game, six for 74 on the ground, four for 34 through the air. Get speed the ball. Yep. Get speed the ball. No Paris Campbell. Get speed the ball. You're lacking that number two kind of consistent guy, I think, behind Pittman right now. You know, when he was drafted, big plays at NC State was his thing. Offensively, we hadn't seen that as much here um, in the NFL. Um, but, again, last night is just a great reason why this needs to be your duo. And Marlon Mack should not have been getting right. you know touches and things like that. You know, it's just these two are really dynamic. And the touchdown run, that nice vision there on the, on the cutback, certainly. There was a screen where Hines caught it. I'm thinking, oh, that, that screen's not going anywhere. Boom, shot out of a cannon, got nine yards. I'm like, if that's Pascal, hell, if that's Pittman, I don't know, maybe Pittman gets there just off of, you know, breaking tackles, but, um, you know, could easily been, you know, tripped up there. So, um, yeah, I, I, we've always been Heinz, you know, people on this podcast, uh, but he, he just needs it. So, you know, when you're looking at things to kind of take away what you put on film with Heinz, what you put on film with this rushing offense Again, you might not have the same success moving forward to the degrees you did last night in those two areas, but now Jacksonville's got to watch a little bit more film on that. Now Buffalo mm-hmm. and Tampa, and it's just that's really, really important late in the year. How can you play off of these things? Yeah. And that, I think, is something that stands out to me. Not to mention, obviously, you know, 42 points in three, three quarters speaks for itself. Yeah. Anytime we can get an end zone backflip, love, love it. Oof, shout out Samantha Pezik. Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, boy, Simone Biles got to be loving that. Mm-hmm. All right, talked about what you liked. Let's go to what you didn't like, and it's obvious, and a lot of people are in the same boat as you, and that's the pass defense. Yeah, it's just, um, it, it's awful, um, to be honest with you, Chris. And I, I guess I do want to shout out a couple quick guys on defense. Uh, Taylor Stallworth, mm, yes. two sacks really well. Um, Leonard. Obviously, the punch out like we talked about a little bit earlier. And I honestly thought it was the best we've seen from Quiddy Pay. Now, the bar hasn't been very high for Quiddy Pay, so I'm not going to like go crazy over it. But you know, a couple quarterback hits, a couple pressures. I, I see a little variety in his moves, so I definitely want to mention Pay. Uh, but the pass defense, man, it's a uh, – you know, today is the uh, – today's the one-year anniversary of a very important tweet in Colts Nation. Oh, Mrs. Everflus. <laughs> Kelly Eberflus dialing it up. This was in reference to a couple of close contacts for the Colts in the old COVID world last season. Um, she replies to Ian Rappaport, um, which is good to see she's following the national audience. Yeah. You know, if Ian is mentioning her husband as a head coaching candidate, probably good to be in with Ian a little bit there. But she chimes into Ian and says, uh, did they call out the immature child water girl yet? 
and put the phone down. You put it down. May deactivate maybe for a little bit. You think um, probably good. To is it Lent? You know, can you give up Twitter? Right. You know, for forty <laughs> days, something along those lines. There, I don't believe Lent is in November, so um, probably not there. But um, you know, I felt like fitting uh, in the one year anniversary of that. Um, I don't know if this makes sense at all, but I would say her husband's defense lacks some maturity when it comes to defending the pass. Um, yeah, it, it's it's. Um, it will be the downfall of the season. Whenever the season ends, just point to the pass defense. Um, you know, our, our morning show previewing the game on Thursday, I talked about how Mike White got the ball out extremely fast, dink and dunk central, and really they just kind of made plays post-catch mm-hmm. in that, um, in that uh, matchup against Cincinnati on Sunday. So I was curious... How much press do we see? How do you disrupt that timing? And early on, I'm like, so much free release. Just guys coming off the line of scrimmage without getting a hand on them. And the pressure was was somewhat decent early on compared to what it typically is. But yet, like, you're kind of finding guys in zones. And obviously, the Elijah Moore touchdown with who knows what Xavier Rhodes or what, what you know, whoever's fault that was. It looked like Rhodes to me. Um but it, there's just a lack of playmaking from the back end. Like, I don't – I think Rocky's seen had a pass breakup in the third quarter. That was the first time I saw, like, an actual play on the ball yeah. from your secondary or linebackers, I guess, at that point. Um, and I'm just sitting there watching Mike White to Josh Johnson, thinking to myself, Josh Allen in two weeks, mm-hmm. Tom Brady in three, Kyler Murray in a month and a half, Derek Carr in the second to last game of the season, in which could be a just a monumental game, yeah, potentially. And here we are again. Um, you know, you're an opposing quarterback, and you want to add highlight plays to your career reel. You hope the Colts show up on the schedule. Yeah, you know, when Josh Johnson, when they retire Josh Johnson's jersey from the San Diego fleet <laughs> of the AFL or AAF, whatever it's called, right. he's played in so many acronyms. Who knows? Right. Uh, they're going to show some Colts Jets highlights from old Thursday night football when Joshua was slinging it inside of Lucas Oil Stadium, man. And um, you know, I wrote the article a couple weeks ago. We really didn't hit on the article on the podcast, but um, defensive accountability when it comes to the passing game is not there. Uh, Chris Ballard, one of this defense, he has invested an uber amount of precious resources into that unit. And the pass defense still sucks. Eberflus, where are the answers? Like, annually, this problem has persisted. And we still don't see answers. And then Frank Reich. I mean, there's some culpability there when your title is the head coach. <laughs> you got to demand some things as well. Yeah. And yet, I feel like the Colts just enjoy sweeping this under the rug. And think, oh, no, you know, dink and dunk. You know, that's that's the way to go. You know, we, we de- we'll see if they can death by a thousand paper cuts, blah, blah, blah. Um and yet the names could be Drew Brees setting an NFL record a few years ago with a one incompletion in the whole game, or Joshua Johnson doing what he did last night. Um, something that I think we got to remember about defense in the NFL, because the Colts are a great run defense, which is adds to the frustration of, like, yeah. shouldn't your pass defense be better? Like, you're giving them an unfavorable down-and-distance situations, and yet you can't dial up pass rush consistently, and your back end lacks – Resistance. I, I made this point on the morning show. Today's NFL and the pass defense, that matters more than stopping the run. The NBA, what matters most? Guards and wings over big guys. Uh, in Major League Baseball right now, with how starting pitchers are barely used, a deep bullpen yeah. matters a little bit more. Hitting home runs is like the new age craze of it all um, versus kind of small ball. Hell, I, I obviously am obsessed with golf. It's all about how fast can you swing? Mm-hmm. How far can you hit it? Like, So with the NFL right now, it is about pass defense. And the Colts are an abomination of a unit when it comes to that part of the game. And um, so last night to me did not reveal anything new. It was the same old story. Just insert a new quarterback. And honestly, a few more national audience eyes thinking, Oh, God, man, yeah. I should have. The Jets over on points was what? You know, like, 
even with Josh Johnson in there. So, you know, Frank Reich wants two Super Bowls in a decade. How can you sit here and watch that defense and not think changes need to happen? Mm-hmm. And, you know, we'll save that for the offseason and what changes, but um, it continues to be the weak link of this Colts operation right now. And it's a shame that you've scored 30 points in four straight games and you're two and two. Yeah. You know? Um, so, yeah, just awful. Typical awful, to be honest with you, by the Colts defense last night. Um, again, I thought the run D... Uh, 4.2 a carry. I mean, that's not that's not as good as they typically are. But, you know, they held Michael Carter, the lean rusher, to under four yards per carry. But, yeah, Mike White and Josh Johnson, Chris. Yeah. 34 of 52 for 412 and four touchdowns. I guarantee you we've rewind, you know, 15 days, and we asked – you know, our listening audience, a very knowledgeable listening audience, who is Mike White or Josh Johnson? <laughs> yeah. There's a chunk that would struggle to, you know. <laughs> uh, who? Mike White. Well, I think he was on my, you know, third grade travel baseball team. And <laughs> Josh Johnson, I liked his mom. She was, you know, cute and brought <laughs> good snacks to the game. Like, I mean, what the f- Yeah, just generic. generic yeah, TVs. I mean, um, what are we doing, man? What are we doing? <laughs> so yeah, wanted to uh, wanted to mention that. Really, the only negative that I have, you know, I mean, hell, when you put up forty five, I don't yeah. think you're having anything on the offensive side of the ball. So, yeah. All right, let's jump into Twitter questions. Cool. First one comes from Jay, talking about what you were just wants to bring up what you were kind of just what, talking about. What did we learn from the Colts last night when you do? play against the third-string quarterback, and the game really started with the second-string quarterback. Yeah, fair. Um, let's start with the run game. Again, the Jets are a top-10 run defense, so I, I learned something there. Now we'll see about the Brainsmith injury, but Matt Pryor I think has filled in nicely when called upon this season. Um, so I, I learned something about the run game. I think I learned something about involvement of Naeem Hines. You know, Taylor Stallworth, I think he is probably your defensive standout from last night. He had the ice. I mean, if Stallworth doesn't get a ball, uh, a paw on that ball, God, that sounds awful. Shows you how little sleep I've had tonight. <laughs> um, that's a touchdown. Uh-huh. And now it's an onside kick, and, like, Jack Doyle has the most pressure on him that we've seen in eons in terms of if you don't get that ball, holy shit. Oh, my God. I don't even want to think about it. I, I'd have Blue come in and play cornerback right. for me, you know, in, in overtime at that point. Um, so, yeah, Jay, again. You will not hear me say on this podcast that result last night has me rethinking the Colts and their playoff hopes and the and the drive to seven and two and all of that. It's going to come down to four games, assuming you take care of business: Bucks, Bills, Cardinals, Raiders, um, and really the games you want to win are the AFC games. Mm-hmm. If you're going to pick two losses, right. you want those to be the NFC losses. If you want to kind of nitpick a little bit of the schedule, but still, uh, we're going to acknowledge the stuff that I think was better competition. And I think from a run game standpoint, it was there. Mike was happy with the win, but he wants to know with the elite offenses coming up, what do we do with the defensive schemes? Yeah, I mean, you try to put 12 or 13 on the field. I mean, I I got, (laughs) Mike, I got no answers for you. Um, The middle of the field continues to be a problem for this team. Um, Yeah, and now, you know, I think it is mostly scheme-related. But now you're starting to feel the personnel in the secondary. You know, you're out, Kari Wills is out two more games mm-hmm. with him going on IR, maybe longer. So that's Jacksonville, and that's the Bills. I mean, Josh Allen without Julian Blackman and Kari Willis? We'll see about Xavier Rhodes. I know Rhodes has been very much in the struggle bus this season, but your depth at corner, you know, is going to get tested as well here all of a sudden. Yeah. Next question comes from the Why Bother Pod. What happened to the defense? We went from 42 to 10 to 45 and 30 with the final score. Did our offense put them in the bad position with three punts in a row? Did the defense retire mid game? And who's more to blame and what shifted, or who's more to blame and what shifted in the coaches to allow the terrible showing? Thanks. Love the pod and all of your input. I appreciate that. Um, I, I mean, the offense scored 42 points to three quarters. I, I can't. 
I can't go there. Um, it's not like you gave them short fields, Chris. Mm-hmm. It's not like you had turnovers. It's not like Rigo was shanking punts. Um, the Jets, well, let's look at these Jets touchdown drives, all right? Okay. All right, Jets touchdown drives to close things out. 75, 66, 80, and 83 yards. Six plays, 11 plays, 13 plays, 12 plays. Methodical beatdown through the air yeah. by the Jets. So, um, you lack closers up front. You lack closers. I, I've, we've talked about it. Killer instinct, you know. Frank, and I, Frank Reich and I were going back and forth earlier in the week, and I asked him a question, you know, what is, um, you know, what do you, why can't you beat playoff teams? And I think in general it's a combination of your quarterback isn't elite. I think quarterback's good, but I don't think he's in the elite, elite category. And your defense just doesn't have a killer instinct. Leonard does, but in closing out games, yeah, I just don't think your pass defense is there. Craig wants to mention that the offense was incredible last night, but the defense was atrocious outside of Taylor Stallworth, which you mentioned. Wants to know why we don't do two more two-back sets with Naheem Hines and Jonathan Taylor, because it seems like it plays mind games with the opposing defenses. Uh, yeah, I mean, Chris, how many times have we said this? Yeah. You know, two-back sets is what we want to see. You know, that Wildcat with Taylor, I thought it was too predictable. The fourth and one? Yeah, yeah I, I'm fine big. with going for it, to be honest with you, um, because that would have made it 24, and that's pretty much four scores. I know it's technically three scores, but I mean, yeah. we need three two-point conversions there. So, um I would have liked to have seen just like Wentz in the backfield, Hines in the backfield with them, you know, something like that there. Um, but yeah, I want to see, I want to see two backs more and more. But I, I, I don't know why. I know Frank has kind of said, ah, it's just not that easy. But with your wide receiver personnel where it is, I'd be involved in that a whole lot more. Jay wants to know if his pass rush worse than last season's. Yes. Oh yeah, definitely. So far, mm-hmm. without a doubt. From Ryan, what would change at defensive coordinator look like in a situation the Colts are in? Obviously, they're winning games, and the general narrative around Matt Eberflus is that he's a great defensive coordinator, but for people who have watched every game, it's pretty clear that a change is necessary if you're going to be the best in the AFC. Is it unheard of to fire a defensive coordinator at the end of the year if you're not going to do a complete coaching overhaul? Yeah, Ryan, this is a really good question. Um you know, someone was asking me today, you know, scheme change, something like that. You know, didn't you draft to be a 4-3 defense? I'm fine with keeping the 4-3. You can just change your approach within that 4-3 look so you aren't overhauling, you know, players and body types and things like that. Um, obviously, I'm a big Notre Dame fan. You guys know that full well. About a handful of years ago, Brian Kelly fired Paul Longo, their strength conditioning coach, in Brian Kelly's wedding, Paul Longo. Wow. Had followed him at every step of the way. Notre Dame had been a, I think, a respectable program in the early Kelly years. I think they've taken another step up in getting Notre Dame to a level that, you know, in my puberty lifetime, I haven't seen. Um, Which, again, I don't know why I said that. It's probably not a thought you want to be thinking about. (laughs) But anyways here, um, what I'm getting at is, you think that was a tough decision for Brian Kelly? Hell yeah. I mean, he was in his wedding, yeah. In his wedding? Yes. You want to get higher on the mountain, to steal a analogy Frank Reich loves to use, you have to make t- tough decisions. Like, is Matt Eberflus, like, the most glaring, fireable coordinator in the NFL? No. Now, I mean, the Colts have the best run defense, one of the best run defense in the league. But I go back to what I said about the emphasis on pass defense. And I go back to what the goal should be for this franchise. Mm-hmm. And Jim Mercer has stated these goals of multiple Super Bowls here in the 2020s. If that's the case, then a tough decision needs to be made. And some might argue it's not even a tough decision, you know? Um, well, it's not as tough for – I mean, like we've said, he, he came in – it's not like he brought in Eberflus. Correct. Chris Ballard right. was the one that hired Eberflus as well. So, um, I think a move needs to happen. Yeah. You know, and, and um, I think Eberflus in the defense does a lot of things that I like. Um I do appreciate the kind of effort and standard like that. I, I I do think that eventually rubs off, and it's a reason why the Colts are up there in turnovers and things like that. Uh, but it, when it when it comes to the disruption of timing, this defense is in the basement of the NFL, and if that doesn't change, 
those off-season vacations will start in early January on a routine mm-hmm. basis. Yeah, and Cameron feels like if you read Josh Johnson's stats, how can you make a case to keep Matt Eberflus or even his scheme? You know, Josh backed up. Did they mention that last night, that he backed up Hasselbeck for a couple games in 2015? Uh, I think I heard Rake Straw say that on the post-game show. Yeah, uh, Hasselbeck was tweeting at me about the Chipotle action. I said, you give Josh Johnson, <laughs> I don't care what, you give him free Doba, free whatever for life after that effort. Um, I felt, selfishly, I, I kind of wanted to see Mike White. I, I, I like the gun, you yeah. know, a little re- touchdown celebration reaction, and I love Zach Wilson's fake clapping on the sideline after J- Mike White's first. Probably no one was happier to see Mike White get hurt than Zach Wilson. Right. Um well, shoot, after that first drive, I was like, uh-oh. Yeah. I, I didn't really want to see Mike White anymore. Well, yeah, I I, I meant it selfishly. Trust yeah. me, from a Colts fan standpoint, no way. But, man, Josh Johnson came in the game. And, like, just as, like, a football fan and watching guys get thrown into awful situations, short week, Josh Johnson, San Diego Fleet, the L.A. Wildcats, what an awful XFL name. Like, get creative <laughs> with your nickname here. Um Good for him, you know. Like that's it's got to be. I mean, his emotion when he threw that pick late, boy, he, he was he was a fired up individual there. So, tell you what, the, the the most impressive one to three quarterback depth chart in the NFL might go to the New York Jets, right? You know, who needs Flacco? Yeah, that was the other thing. It's like, yeah, I forgot they had Flacco, too. right? All right, from David, in regards to Ellinger, this is a statement, not a question, but Carson Wentz should not have taken the kneel downs last night. (laughs) Folks, I think we got to accept it. That first-round pick, later. Yeah. There's an Eagles guy I follow that literally after every game, he gives an update Mm -hmm. on, like, the Wentz snap count thing. He's going to have to get hurt. I mean, we are literally, I think, like three games away from him clinching it, maybe four games away, and mathematically, you're still going to be right. alive, very alive, honestly. So, um, guys, Carson Wentz, that trade will be a first-round pick and a third-rounder. So, enjoy opening night of the draft. What did you think of the wrinkle with bringing Sam in? I liked it um, because now I think you're putting that on film. I, I don't necessarily think that, like, Ellinger needs to be used in those situations. I think Wentz is very fine as a runner, mm-hmm. but now I just think it's something else. Um, so I don't need to see Ellinger in there a ton, but like watching Ellinger run, for those that didn't watch him in college, that he's like a power runner. Mm-hmm. I mean, he is literally like, he's not breaking you ankles in the open field. Right. I mean, he's, he's Taysom Hill. This one's from Joshua. Please ask Frank Reich why the hell he's throwing the ball with less than five minutes to play and up two scores. He really has to learn... Has he really learned nothing from the games that he, and that's emphasized he, has lost the team with crap like this? Jonathan Taylor's pushing 200 yards, and he treats him like he stinks. <laughs> um, you know, that point of the game, Chris, Wentz took some hits, too. I honestly, and I know that this might sound crazy, I wanted to see Deion Jackson at that point. The undrafted kid, who's now your third stringer with yeah. Marlon Mack as a healthy scratch. Like, I mean, you were up. What was it, 45-23? Yeah, 45-23, 42-23. No matter how you look at the scores, you're up three scores in the fourth quarter. Like, with how that offensive line's playing, I get it. Do you want a rookie again his first touches? I don't know. Maybe ball security would be an issue. But that, that was kind of my thought there. I'm just like, you know, I'm thinking more about injuries probably than I should be. But, yeah, I mean, the Jets were not going to come back. They're going to run out of time, they, you know. You were you were people already heading to the exits up on the oh, Jets. Shit, I was t- I tweeted halftime start Ellinger in the second half. You talk about that riling up some people. <laughs> I don't know if I was joking or not. To be honest with you, I just I'm like you know the thought it the Colts have not been in this situation yet. So mm-hmm. like if you go up four scores, that's what you start thinking about. But then Matt Eberflus is like, ha, you want Sam Ellinger to play? Watch this. Right. Question from Wake Spike on your last podcast, you mentioned that Frank Reich's seat seat warmer is on number two. With the Colts being scored on by third-string quarterbacks, shouldn't Matt Eberflus's be on three by now? We can't close out third downs. Also, at what point? Also, at this point, I would trade Xavier Rose for a bag of chips and a practice squad guy. 
Hell, I'd just take the bag of chips. Unfortunately, <laughs> the trade deadline has passed. Doritos, right? Your Doritos. Yeah, yeah, baby. Give them to me. Give them to me. Um, yes, that's accurate on the seat warmer. Mm-hmm. And we're talking like that seat warmer's on three when uh, the Minnesota Golden Gophers have recruited the kid from Florida and he's experiencing winter for the first time and he gets into his car, his yeah. NLI or NIL car, um, <laughs> and he's... Oh boy, crank it up, baby. Yeah. Crank it. That that's it's gotta be there. Has to be there. Better be there. I had to use a seat warmer this morning. Was... Oh shit, I don't blame you, man. There are a lot of scrape action yeah. around town. From David, Kevin, I've always been on the thought that this is an Eberflus issue, but more than the but the more that I watch, I think it might be a Chris Ballard issue. No corners and no pass rush. We'll get into this deeper in the offseason, Chris, but yeah, I mean it's it, it's top down. Um is it personnel? Is it lack of development of that personnel? Mm-hmm. You know, Terrell Basham, Quincy Wilson, and Malik Hooker have all gone elsewhere in the NFL. Uh, I don't think any of the three have made a huge impression. I know Basham has hung around a little bit longer. Wilson, definitely not. Malik, I think, is rotating in, if I'm not mistaken, in Dallas. or Not, not, not playing not a ton. I didn't even know where he went. Yeah, so... Um, yeah, it's... Personnel and development, probably a little both, but they've invested a whole lot in that defense. I think that's what's you – know, you look at these first two drafts for Ballard that are now into second contracts. You know, Think of the first three rounds he spent on defense. Again, Basham, Wilson, Hooker. Then you go to that 2018 draft, Darius Leonard, an absolute grand slam. Komoko Terry and Taekwon Lewis. And that's six defensive picks in the first three rounds – and Leonard's the only one mm-hmm. that you feel good about. It's a shame we don't feel better about Lewis, but unfortunately, injuries have been kind of the name of the game. And even then, he's still not an unquestionable starter for you, which you draft dudes in the second round, expect them to start. I am happy with, uh, I mean, obviously we've played one game more than other teams, but if you go to the stats in terms of tackling, Okereke is in the top five right now. Yeah, yeah. So and he comes in the next draft. So, yeah, I mean, he's definitely a guy that I think is trending towards Getting that second contract. Yeah, he's the next draft, right? Yeah, because mm-hmm. it was Rock and Banigou in that next draft. Yep. Obviously there. But, yeah, Bobby certainly is is looking like that guy. Well, Kevin, Kit says, my man, keep killing the pod. Let's go, Kit. Love it. Two-part question here. We're up 28-10. to 10. Was the fourth and goal play to get that on tape? And also, is Frank just out here playing chess? So, was 28-10, was that Taylor in the Wildcat? Yes. Okay. Um... Yeah, I guess get on tape. You know, the thing about the Wildcat, when the Wildcat is just the running back in the backfield, don't teams like run it 99.9% of the time? I have to. One jump pass, yeah. you know, a year maybe. Um, I didn't love it. I was good with it. And like, the other thing I didn't love, that was like a fourth and, it says fourth and two. I swear it was a fourth and three. That's a lot of yards to get yeah. when you're kind of bottled up in that in that situation. From Josh, does moving Marlon Mack to a healthy scratch after the trade deadline add credence to the idea that the Colts were intentionally playing him over Jonathan Taylor to raise the trade value, or is this just coincidence? Yeah, I, that's one way to probably read into it, Josh. I, are you going to release him? I mean, I you mutually agreed to, agreed to trade him. Mm-hmm. I don't, yeah, it's 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 a fair question to ask. Yeah. Now, again, I think at this point you'd rather have Marlon Mack just in case. You know, break a glass sort of emergency situation, but yeah, I can't see Marlon firing brimstone in someone's office, but I could also see him being like, hey, guys, this is a contract year. I got eight games to prove myself, and mm-hmm. you just played 80 snaps last week, and I saw the ball once, and that play didn't even happen because of a penalty. So, yeah, I, I, I don't know. The future looks very murky, very murky. Yeah, but to Josh's point and to what you mentioned earlier, the fact that there were games where Marlon Mack was getting close to sniffing the same amount of touches as Naeem Hines. You felt like something had to be there. Yeah, something. Yeah. I, <laughs> it was odd, man. And, again, like, deciding to do that, that's white flag tank stuff. So I, I don't I don't get that, if indeed that's the case. Yeah. Well, this uh, question is comes from two different people. It's the same sort of uh, thought process with Ricardo and John. Based on what Ballard, Chris Ballard and Frank Reich have done on both sides of the ball, 
Are the Colts willing to start Carson Wentz through the entire season, even if it means giving up a top ten pick? If if is and is that a fireable offense? Yeah, and I think we're starting. Are we starting to trend towards like last week's questions? Maybe a little bit. Yeah, here? two more until last. Okay. Last week. Um. So a lot of these might be a little bit more bigger picture, mm-hmm. just stuff from the the ten, uh, Tennessee game that we couldn't get to. Um. I don't think it's going to happen, man. Like unless Ursay takes the fall, you know. Obviously, there's there there's two like debates I think with it. First off, again, I think the Colts are still going to be mathematically alive. So yeah, you right. Know, that that's probably the first thing. Like if you're mathematically alive, don't you have to continue to play him? Like you you have to. Um, now let's say you're out. One is like the message it sends to your locker room. That's been a popular debate. How can you tell Darius Leonard to go out there week in week out, and you're going to bench uh, Wentz? Now that's where Ursay just got to take the fall and just be like, I'm sorry. This is what I'm doing. It's not a Ballard thing. It's not a right thing. Like, you know, blah, blah, blah. And the other, I think it's just like, do you need a full evaluation on wins? Do you need 17 games? Or is 13 enough? Do you need to see him be healthy for 17 games? I think that's a fair debate as well. Um, Man, if you miss the playoffs and you lose that first-round pick. Do you see Ursa? I mean, he's not like Jerry Jones. I don't see Ursa doing it, but it would take that. Yeah. I, I don't see him doing it, but Jim Jim gets football. Jim knows what a first round pick means, what yeah. a top fifteen pick means, and how decimating that can be, and losing it in a year that you might not make the playoffs. So, um, I mean, again, unless they literally, I would think they'd have to. What do they have? They have Jacksonville this coming week, and then I believe Buffalo. Yeah, Buffalo, Tampa. Let's say like let's just put those in the loss category for, you know, whatever for for the sake of the argument. The next game I believe after that is Houston. So, that means you got to lose to either Jacksonville on the front end or Houston on the back end, along with those two losses to Buffalo and Tampa, for them to potentially be out of it. And again, I don't even think they will be out of it. Yeah. All right, let's go to a question from Donnie. What's the story on Jordan Wilkins' release? Feels like he's always been a valuable player for us, especially on the special team side of the ball. Donnie, I wish I had more. Super vague. Super weird, super vague. You know, he was out for the, what, three weeks, non-COVID. Related to what? I mean, mono. Like, I, I, we're just guessing here. Right. It's very probably very unfair, and I probably just committed a HIPAA violation for guessing. But like, um, then he came back in practice for a week. You know, hmm. oh, that was weird to me too. So they like Deion Jackson. I know. Yeah, you know, they bumped him up, playing some special teams. Haven't seen him on offense yet, but still, uh, the, the the trade of Mac or the parting of ways of Mac. For, for what I wanted them to do, always centered around having Jordan Wilkins. So now I think Matt actually brings some emergency insurance value. Yep, I agree. Edward has a question in terms of the dramatic philosophy approaches in terms of like the Colts versus, let's say, the Rams and Chris Ballard. The Rams, they go out and trade for a bunch of people. We saw it last week. Sammy Watkins, Marcus Peters, Aqib Tlaib, yet the Colts are still going to the draft board do we need to keep making more moves like we did with DeForest Buckner? Um, I don't think cap-wise you're kind of in a situation to do that, really. Like, Ballard wants to create a core like the Manning era, and I I get that. Like, that, that makes a whole lot of sense to me in, in what you want to do. Um, the Rams feel like they're a quarterback away. The Titans, obviously, there's a bit of an all-in feel with Henry and just his situation, um, you know, obviously pre-injury. Um, the Colts felt like they were a quarterback away, and they, I mean, the Colts ultimately did not really pursue Stafford, you know, um, and they felt like Wentz was a guy capable of giving them a whole lot of help. Um, and right now, it looks like, based off where they're at right now, that they are not just a quarterback away from that. So, um, yeah, I understand the roster building philosophy, but I stand by what I said in March. I would have liked to have seen a pass rusher, a proven pass rusher, come into that building. You know, the, the name that I keep on coming back to is Hassan Reddick, Chris. When the Colts drafted Malik Hooker in 2017, I was under the impression it was either going to be Reddick or Hooker mm-hmm. if Reddick would have been there. Um, struggled, I think, in Arizona, I believe, is his first stop, and now is just taking off. And Carolina's got like seven or eight sacks, something like that. I thought he would be a free agent name to go after there so um yeah now we're going to start getting into some questions from last week obviously with that disappointing loss to the titans niles wants to know how much more slack do we give Wentz 
especially after the uh, the bad second half mistakes with those turnovers, and also run the damn ball. Yes, well, thankfully they did that. Um, you know, it is one game for sure with Wentz, but those mistakes, Chris, happened in the part of the game that separate the elite from just being good, and that is what's worrisome to me. Um, so he's gonna have other opportunities. I mean, he was really—I thought he was pretty, pretty good. I honestly thought the pass protection helped him hit on some deep balls down the field. I, I thought he was pretty darn good yesterday. Yeah. Um. So yeah, with Carson, I I still kind of stand by that. I think he's in like that ten to twelve QB range. And a lot of it is like, what do you want as your quarterback? I want my I want to give the most support, important position in sports. I want to try to be as elite as possible. That's where I'm at with quarterback and how you go about it. And right now, from what I've seen from Wentz, there's a lot in there that I like, and I've seen a lot earlier than I thought, but I, I can't I can't go elite. I can't go jump on my back, boys. Let's see what happens in January sort of thing. <laughs> Funny one here from Brian. He says he's been, on the, uh, he's been on the mismanagement of this roster and coaching for years. Was Sunday a bless-his-heart game for Frank Reich and Chris Ballard? Was that the turning of the page for the fans expecting this regularly? Oh, Frank, bless his heart. Chris Ballard, bless his heart. Their players tried. Bless their heart. Yeah, I, I, yes, Brian, that, I guess that made me laugh a little bit, although I'm not totally following that. Um, we've pointed out the question marks on this roster, and mm-hmm. again, you know, I think they are starting to flare up again, at least against the elite competition. Well, coming from that game was obviously the Derrick Henry injury that now has him sidelined, which could potentially be for the year. Zach wants to know, what are the chances now of the Colts winning the division after that injury? Yeah, I still don't think they're close to 50-50 at all. I mean, were they 5% before? I don't know, maybe 10%. Basically, if the Colts go 7-2 and two to finish, that would mean they need Tennessee to go 3-6. and six. Well, Tennessee's got Trevor Simeon, Tua, the Texans twice, Jacksonville once. Like, yeah. don't they find four wins? They lost to the Jets. They did. <laughs> they, they did, but they're, I mean, they're also 5-0 and against playoff yeah, teams. No, like, I, I, I just, to me, I'm a little bit more locked in the wild card. Mm-hmm. Right? Well, obviously, I'm locked in the Colts doing enough to put yourself in any sort of position, but... Maybe we'll get to December because if you do look at how the next kind of four weeks unfold for the, these two teams, you could get to a position where like they're only one or two games separated, standings wise. Um, but then the schedule I think just kind of favors Tennessee a little bit more the rest of the way. Kevin Jason wonders if Frank Reich would even be able to give up the play calling. For instance, if he turned it over to Marcus Brady, would he be able to remove himself from overriding? No, and Frank Reich should not give up play calling. He shouldn't. Um, because Marcus Brady, Marcus Brady never called plays in the NFL. Like, we probably should mention that as well. Like, if Frank is giving up play calling, why is he the head coach? Yeah. You know, he's here for his offensive mind. And I stand by. I think Frank is a much better than average offensive mind. To me, it's been some usage and some critical situations where he just hasn't been at that level. But more often than not, I do think Frank gives you an advantage with his play calling. Well, luckily, our friend from Ireland is able to come over to America now that we've raised the uh, Let's go. And how about, hey, Notre Dame's going over to Ireland. Oh, yeah? 2023 to play Navy. Love it. Spend $1,000 on flights to come see the Jags on the 14th after last week's game. Kind of was regretting it. Oh, boy. Wants to know, watching the Colts possibly fail to win the AFC South. Yet again, Chris Ballard and or Jim Ursay will demand change. Which of the coaching staff do you think is likely to be fired? And what players do you think will likely not return next season? Yeah, Derek, safe travels over here. Um, you know, we'll get a big picture stuff down the road. I, I, I'd i certainly make a defensive move. Is cornerback your biggest need right now? I think so. I mean, um, yeah. You know, Ballard won this defense, so I think you can't absolve him from blame either when you're saying Chris Ballard or Jim Mercer will demand change. I mean, will Chris Ballard demand change? Mm-hmm. Hopefully. Yeah, again, but, I mean, like, hope. You know, that it, it, there's no guarantee with that, Chris. So, um, we'll see. But, yeah, enjoy, uh, enjoy. Carson Wentz looks Irish, doesn't he? Yeah, oh, yeah. So, yeah. Trevor wants to know, is Mo Cox the future for the Colts at tight end position? 
Yeah, that's a good that's a good question. I think he's a part of it. I don't know if I'm looking at Molly Cox and saying like unquestionably number one tight end. Don't worry about it. I I would like to make kind of another move there. Kylan Granson, good to see him. We'll catch and run. Uh, I thought that touchdown where I was sitting. Last I night. thought that was him at first. <laughs> On Penter. On Penter. Really? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Penter is not the biggest dude. So, um, yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think it's kind of a sneaky position, Chris, that needs some upgrade. Yeah. So we'll see how they uh, how they address it. Steven believes that Frank Reich is a great play caller, but he overanalyzes stuff, and there are a lot of WTF play calls, moments, <laughs> and stops running the ball. Also thinks that Carson Wentz is a good quarterback, but has WTF moments as well. Maybe this is why they love each other. Wentz won't be good without Frank Reich. He doesn't think Frank Reich is managing all aspects of the football game to a winning level. If you were the general manager, Kevin, what would you do? Yeah, um, yeah, I really need to see the season play out. Um, I, I do think Frank and Chris are a combination that can get it done, but at the same time, not holding them accountable would be a massive mistake and demanding some change and some tweaks. Um, you know, one can make the arg- argument, you know, it's the third quarterback post luck and you're still kind of stuck in this awkward area of like, what, you know, where are, is this purgatory? Mm-hmm. Um, or is it Wentz's ascending? So every, I, I cannot get over this enough. I mean, Frank Reich, dude. Loves, loves, loves Carson Wentz. Mm-hmm. Loves, 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 loves. <laughs> um, can't cloud, can't cloud things though, Chris. You know, um, I think that's fine. It's cool they have that sort of relationship. I think it helps in a lot of areas, but it cannot cloud decision making at some point down the road. Yeah. Mitchell was at that game last Sunday, Kevin. Okay. <clears throat> said he was right above the Colts tunnel and could look down and see Chris Ballard and during that overtime session saw him shake his head a couple times in disagreement with some of the play calls put his hands on his face and walked down the tunnel after that last interception up to this point how do you evaluate the year and are you do you think he's satisfied with the Frank Wright Carson Wentz duo to this point dude Chris Ballard wears his emotions on his sleeve watching a game. I, I've sat near him several times, and um, <laughs> it's funny because, you know, visiting press boxes, uh, the GM of the visiting team sits amongst everybody, really. And watching, like, the home media of those teams, like, turn around and look and, like, who's making that noise? <laughs> and sure enough, it's the GM of the Colts, Chris Ballard. Uh, again, he's such an even-keel guy in, in so many other facets, though. Um yeah, I, I, you know, beating playoff teams, um, that is the hurdle. But then it's like, all right, are you beating, you know, four in a row come January? Like that's you know obviously the ultimate goal. I just can't go there. I I I think I would be undecided on Reich and Wentz if I were Ball- yeah. if I was Ballard. Um, I think yeah, I think you got to be slightly disappointed. You know, right now I had five and four at this point of the season, and they're four and five. Mm-hmm. What I didn't have was losing to all of the good teams on your schedule. So that's where the issue comes into play more yeah. for me. Of like, you're four and five; it's a one game difference. But when we're talking measuring stick, and more importantly, kind of playoff, you know, standings and and, and where you're at in that sense, it's such a decimating blow. And how you've gotten to four and five. So I think that has to stand out and kind of add to the disappointment as well. All right, six more. This one's from Big Bama. What are your thoughts on Brian Baker and the development of the pass rush? Feels like this cover two scheme only works if we have a good one, and up to this point, DeForest Buckner is the only one that is really getting any push, and that's making some of these average quarterbacks having career days against our defense. Yeah, I mean, someone needs blame. Um, you know, Brian Baker, it's a second year. Is that a lack of development? Is it more on Eberflus in the scheme? Not the right players kind of goes back to that debate. Um, but yeah, it's, there's some sort of hiccup in the operation. Yeah. If you want to go like assembly line sort of route here. Um, so yeah, I, I, you know, what's this guy? Well, the name, the name escapes me. I can picture him, the D line coach that left and went to Carolina. So, um, yeah, Baker, big, big. Uh, that, that's actually a big right guy. They uh, played at uh, Maryland together. Oh, okay. 
Well, Kevin, as we know, here in Indiana, basketball is in full swing. So Kevin wants, or Jake wants to make a comparison. Are the Colts going to reach Pacers level of apathy, can't beat the good teams, and are unwilling to do what most or what must be done? Yeah, I, I, I don't think so. I don't. I think the NFL season is kind of too short for it to really like go down the apathetic route. You know, I, I don't. And also, I think Taylor and Pittman are really exciting. And you got some young guys on the defensive side of the ball. And obviously, the Pacers have a guy in Chris Duarte that's pretty exciting, but I don't mm-hmm. think the Pacers have a whole lot of like young, young talent. I guess Karras would certainly fall into that. But, and obviously, roster size are different. So, um, yeah, I don't. I don't think so. I know the crowds haven't been great at Lucas Oil, but they're not Pacers bad. No. With what we've seen so far. No. Sincere's wondering, at what point does Chris Ballard say enough is enough and just goes and signs a premier free agent that could help this defense? I mean, how long are we supposed to be patient and waiting for these rookies to develop to put pressure on opposing quarterbacks? I mean, preach. You know, I mean, this is what we've talked about. Um, Yeah, it's... You've got to find answers with proven pass rushers, and it's difficult, as we're seeing, to rely on young guys to come in here and give you instant impact. So um, you've got to alter your approach. And now you're not in the financial situation to maybe take advantage of the opportunities that you had and I think misused in prior off-seasons. Daniel says it feels really, really strange to be in a situation where the Colts' playoff chances are now so low that he's starting to let off-season thoughts creep in. With that said, where are the biggest holes on this roster that you think the Colts need to address? He's thinking cornerback and the quality O-line depth to start. Well, i definitely go corner. Um, hell, I wouldn't pass up another edge rusher. Like, you know, I mean, I, I certainly wouldn't. What about wideout? Yeah. Who's your future at wideout? Pittman, and then what? Yeah, that that's the issue. I mean, obviously Pittman. Pascal contract year. Is Hilton going to retire? Should Hilton come back? You know, like those questions. And obviously Paris Campbell you can't rely on. Oh, you see the Paris Campbell update? Christmas, right? That's Circling what, Christmas. So yeah. that'll be interesting to see if he's able to come back at all at the end of the year. Brian wants to know, he says, if Wentz is going to be legit good, he feels like a first-round pick is fair value at certain point. says, I know the fans get hung up on the playing time threshold, but if he's a franchise quarterback full stop, he's okay with the cost. How about you? Yeah, I, um, again, I go back to what I said earlier. What do you want from your quarterback? Like, I need my franchise QB to cover some things up when necessary. To make the plays in critical moments, I, I, I need all of that. That's a high standard that I have for the position. Um, so, now, the cost of doing business, you want an average to above average quarterback in the NFL, it's going to cost you a first-round pick. Right. Um, so, yeah, Brian, I, I totally hear where you're getting at, and it probably is fair value. Um, but, again, a lot of it, I think, comes down to, like, where do you draw the line and what you want your franchise QB to be. Franchise QB is a big a big uh, label. Yeah. Big label. I, I don't take that lightly. So, yeah, that's, that's my thought. And the final one for this podcast comes from Jake, and you touched on this earlier as well, Kevin. Quiddy Pay couldn't beat a backup tackle once during the Titans game. Why should we believe that this player will be any different than the failed edge picks that Chris Ballard has taken. Yeah, obviously a little better from Pay last night. Um, something I've always thought about him when I watch him, and I mentioned this a little bit at training camp, his body type, when you look at him, I don't look at him and think that dude is a freak athletic combine tester. But he is. When I watch him play, I don't see those traits speed quickness-wise to the extent that he is as a tester. I'm not saying he's a poor athlete by any means. I mean, trust me, he's not that. I thought he showed a good variety last night in moves. But, um, you know, there's so many of those comparisons of, like, size and three-cone and, like, you Mm -hmm. know, then then you get into, like, the player comps. And, like, some of the player comps, I'm like, oh, that that dude's got a little bit more juice than I see out of Quiddy. I still don't think Quiddy can be a fine player, but that's just kind of been my early observation. Is it, I mean, and I'm sure it's like every other rookie when they come in. The game at some point probably will slow down for him. Yeah, definitely. And I think you know, what he looks like here to close out the second half of the season, that'll be something to certainly watch.
All right. Well, that does it for Twitter questions on this edition of Kevin's Corner. Awesome, man. Appreciate you uh, doing this on a Friday. Yep. And um, we will be back after the Jags game, recapping that and leading into a big one at Buffalo and then home to Tampa to close out the month of November. For Chris Presley, I'm Kevin Bowen. Everybody have a great weekend, and we'll talk to you next week, or uh, I guess in about 10 days, on Kevin's Corner. This has been Kevin Bowen. Thank you for listening to another edition of Kevin's Corner. If you haven't already, subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher for the best Colts and Pacers coverage.